Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library. Most of Charleston is familiar with the Aiken family of antebellum times, whose railroad wealth literally stamped the family's name across our state. But hardly anyone remembers the other Aiken family of colonial South Carolina. From modest beginnings in the 1690s to great wealth in the 1750s, and then extinction in the 1840s, the lesser-known Aikens left an important legacy on Meeting Street that most of Charleston has long forgotten. Before we can appreciate the Aiken Foundling Hospital, we need to learn a bit about the family fortunes that inspired our community's first and only home for motherless infants. The Aiken family, spelled A-K-I-N, arrived in South Carolina by 1695, though it's not clear where they immigrated from. Like the more famous and apparently unrelated Aiken family, spelled A-I-K-E-N, of 19th century South Carolina, the colonial-era Aikens may have hailed from the north of Ireland. In 1695, Thomas Aiken purchased 200 acres from Jonathan Amory, another immigrant from Ireland, on the eastern branch of the Cooper River, about 20 miles northeast of Charleston, and he rooted the family in what became known as the Lowcountry Parish of St. Thomas. By the time he made his will in 1705, Thomas Aiken had acquired sufficient real estate to divide more than 700 acres among his three minor sons, John, Thomas, and James. John died in 1729, leaving his entire estate to his mother, Elizabeth, and his brothers and sisters. Thomas Aiken, the second man of that name in South Carolina, married one Margaret Livingston and became a planter in the parish of St. John, Berkeley. At his death in 1755, the childless Thomas Jr. left his entire estate to his wife, Margaret, who died in 1757 and distributed her estate among her non-Aiken family. James Aiken, the first man of that name in South Carolina, was born sometime in the 1690s and became a prominent planter in the parish of St. Thomas in the 1720s. As such, he served as a justice of the peace, a tax inquirer, and was repeatedly elected to represent St. Thomas in the Commons House of Assembly. He acquired additional property by purchase and through the family of his wife, Sarah Bremar, with whom he had at least four children named James, Thomas, Elizabeth, and Mary. If James Aiken is remembered at all today, however, it's for concocting a story about a planned slave insurrection in 1749 and torturing his slaves to confess the imaginary plot. The colony was on high alert for a brief moment until Aiken's neighbors, including his brother Thomas, persuaded the governor that the threat never existed. At the time of his death in 1758, the elder James Aiken owned dozens of enslaved people and more than 5,500 acres scattered across the low country. But it's unclear whether or not he also owned a townhouse in Charleston. I believe he acquired a house on the west side of Meeting Street, opposite the Congregational Meeting House, before his death in 1758, 
but I can't find any documentation concerning how or when he acquired that property. We'll return to that point in just a minute. When the widower James Aiken died in 1758, his four children were still teenagers. Supported by a sizable family fortune and a well-heeled network of family and friends, however, the Aiken children did not suffer for want. Elizabeth lived in urban Charleston, apparently with the Harleston family, and died unmarried in 1763. Mary Aiken married George Smith, the son of Reverend Josiah Smith, Sr. James Aiken, the second man of that name in South Carolina, married Anne DeVoe in 1764 and followed in his father's footsteps by acquiring even more real estate and representing the parish of St. Thomas in the General Assembly. Thomas, the younger son, married Anne Christie in 1768 and also became a planter in the parish of St. Thomas. In short, the Aikens were a well-established affluent family by the time of the outbreak of the American Revolution in 1775, but there were also signs that the family fortunes were in decline well before the war began. In his 1758 will, the elder James Aiken described numerous tracts of land in several parishes and instructed his children, after they reached the age of 21, to sell off as much of the land as they wished. James Jr., the elder son, born in 1743, began advertising eight plantation tracts in the autumn of 1768, describing them all as belonging to the estate of James Aiken, Esquire, deceased. Along with his brother Thomas and brothers-in-law George Smith and Josiah Smith Jr., James Aiken continued advertising numerous properties for sale into the early 1770s. The total acreage on offer amounted to more than 5,500 acres and thus represented nearly their entire inheritance. This fact clearly suggests that the Aiken boys were endeavoring to downsize their agricultural interests but their motivations for doing so are unclear. Among the properties advertised by James Aiken Jr. in the autumn of 1769, and of particular interest to this story, was, quote, a lot of land in Charlestown, 33 feet and a half front on Meeting Street, and 236 feet deep, end quote. The lot in question contained, quote, a convenient house with six rooms and other outbuildings thereon is nearly opposite the white meeting, that is, the Congregational Church, and occupied by Mr. James Andrews, end quote. James again advertised this property in the summer of 1771, at which time he provided a more robust description. Quote, a lot of land in Meeting Street, opposite the white meeting, containing about 34 feet in front and 236 feet and a half in depth, having a convenient tenement thereon, consisting of six rooms, which, with a little repair, may be made a very good dwelling house, with a brick kitchen, a well of very good water, and other improvements. This lot is as airy and as pleasantly situated as most in town, having a considerable space of gardening land to the back parts thereof, with the meeting and old churchyards open to the front, which will always give it the advantage of that free air so requisite in summer." 
From these brief descriptions and the general context of the Aiken property advertisements, it appears that the house and lot on the west side of Meeting Street was part of the large estate of the first James Aiken, who died in 1758. The house was occupied by a tenant in 1771 and needed a bit of repair, so we don't know if it was ever used as an Aiken family residence or if it was simply an investment property. In either case, the younger James Aiken wanted to dispose of it because he needed the cash. For reasons now lost, his finances were in steep decline in the mid-1770s. On at least three occasions, in 1774, 1775, and 1777, James borrowed large sums of money from Charleston merchants, during which time he continued to represent the parish of St. Thomas in the Commons House of Assembly and in the new House of Representatives. In 1779, brothers James and Thomas Aiken jointly sold four tracts of land totaling more than 2,300 acres. When the childless James Aiken Jr. drew up his will in the spring of 1780, just before the British siege of Charleston, he bequeathed his two principal plantations to his wife and her family. The rest of his property was to be divided among the children of his younger brother, Thomas. James died sometime in 1780, and his will was probated in Charleston in early 1781, while the city was under the yoke of British occupation. Shortly after the conclusion of the war, in the spring of 1784, the creditors of the late James Aiken filed suit against his widow, Anne DeVoe Aiken, to recover their unpaid debts. The court ordered the confiscation and sale of Aiken's principal tract, containing 1,271 acres, called Aiken Field, which was purchased by his neighbor, John Eugene. With Anne's death in 1785, a major chapter in the Aiken family saga came to a quiet end. Far less is known about Thomas Aiken, the younger son of the first James Aiken, who was born sometime between 1744 and 1747. At the start of the American Revolution, he owned more than 2,000 acres of land, but like many men of that wartime generation, he felt compelled to make contingency plans for the future of his growing family. Thomas made his will in early 1778, instructing his wife, Anne, to maintain only their home place in the parish of St. Thomas, consisting of about 305 acres, for her future support. The rest of his estate was to be liquidated and the profits applied to the support and education of their three children, James and Elizabeth, both born around 1773, and another Thomas, born around August of 1776. To advocate for the children in the Patriarchal Society of the South Carolina Lowcountry, Thomas appointed three male guardians, his brother James, his brother-in-law Jacob DeVoe, and his neighbor and family friend, the Reverend Robert Smith. Like his older brother James, Thomas Aiken died sometime after the British siege of Charleston, and his will was probated shortly after that of his brother, in the late spring of 1781. At the end of the American Revolution in 1783, 
The family of the late Thomas Aiken struggled like everyone else to recover from years of physical, financial, and emotional stress. To bring order out of confusion was no easy matter, remembered Dr. David Ramsey, who would have known the Aiken family. The eight years of war in Carolina were followed by eight years of disorganization. During this difficult time, the Aiken children were very fortunate to have their mother, Anne Christie Aiken, who survived until 1831, as well as a well-connected guardian, the Reverend Robert Smith, rector of St. Philip's Episcopal Church. The exact nature of the relationship between the Aiken family and the Reverend Smith is difficult to determine from the distance of more than two centuries, but they were more than simply neighbors. Like James Aiken, Smith was elected to represent the parish of St. Thomas, where he owned a plantation, in the South Carolina House of Representatives in 1775 and 1776, but he resided principally in Charleston and so declined to serve. Smith likely married Thomas Aiken and Anne Christie at St. Philip's Church in 1768 and likely baptized their children in the 1770s. Thomas Aiken could not have selected a better guide for the future of his three children. As a Cambridge-educated gentleman, Robert Smith was both a patriotic veteran, having been exiled to Philadelphia in 1781 by the British, and a clergyman with a zeal for education. In the summer of 1785, Robert Smith opened a private academy for young men at his commodious house, the parsonage of the parish of St. Philip, now Number 6 Glebe Street. Here, the Anglican Reverend offered instruction in reading, writing, arithmetic, geography, as well as Latin, Greek, and French to a mix of day students and boarding students. This academy, really an advanced grammar school, formed the nucleus of the College of Charleston, which commenced formally in 1789 under Smith's leadership as a publicly funded liberal arts secondary school, what Americans might call a high school. For James and Thomas Aiken, aged 12 and 9 respectively in 1785, the timing of these educational developments was very fortuitous. By the time the boys reached adulthood in the 1790s and took possession of their respective inheritances, they were prepared for successful careers in the disciplines of their choosing. The young James Aiken, born 1773, died 1846, the third man of that name in South Carolina, was drawn to the visual arts. Like his slightly younger contemporary, Charles Fraser, he probably studied the basics of drawing and engraving with Thomas Coram, Charleston's resident self-taught artist, who had a strong connection with the Reverend Smith and the Charleston Orphan House, founded in 1790. Of these two artists, Dr. David Ramsey later noted that, quote, Thomas Coram has merit as a self-taught engraver, and James Aiken has obtained distinction in the same art but, notwithstanding, has found it for his interest to seek the reward of his ingenuity elsewhere than in the land of his nativity, end quote. In fact, James Aiken was practicing as an engraver in Philadelphia as early as 1794, perhaps following a European tour. His transition to the city of brotherly love might have been facilitated by his former guardian, Robert Smith, 
who developed important contacts there while exiled by the British Army in 1781. Aiken's artistic career in Philadelphia flourished, and he developed a particular reputation as a talented satirist and political cartoonist. He did not forget his South Carolina roots, however. In 1802, Aiken engraved the only known image of the first state house in Columbia. A few years later, for David Ramsey's two-volume History of South Carolina, which was published in 1809, he engraved an imaginative facsimile of the first printed map of Charleston, published by Edward Crisp in 1711. I could say much more about James Aiken's career in the visual arts, but I'll leave that to Alison Stagg, an art historian who's working on that project right now. At some point in the 1790s, young Thomas Aiken, born in 1776, the third man of that name in South Carolina, went abroad for his education, but the exact duration and itinerary of his travels are not known. We do know, however, that he earned a medical doctorate in 1799 from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, where he completed a Latin thesis on canine rabies. By 1802, he was listed in the Charleston City Directory as a practicing physician. Shortly after his return to the city, Dr. Aiken joined the Medical Society of South Carolina. By 1808, he was part of the monthly rotation of visiting physicians at the Charleston Dispensary, Charleston's free clinic for indigent patients. In 1810, he joined forces with Dr. George Hall to open a private infirmary on the west side of Back Street, now called Franklin Street, opposite the Marine Hospital, for, quote, the reception of sick and wounded Negroes, end quote. In 1819, Dr. Aiken was elected president of the Medical Society of South Carolina. In June of 1821, Charleston City Council appointed him to the Board of Commissioners of the city's poorhouse, a position he held for many years. In short, Thomas Aiken was an educated, well-connected man about Charleston who used his talents and resources to improve his community. Of the Aiken boy's sister, Elizabeth Aiken, born 1773, far less is known. Eliza, as she was known in Charleston, never married, and opportunities for spinster women were very limited during her time. I think it's possible that she volunteered with a philanthropic organization called the Ladies' Benevolent Society, which was formed in 1813 to assist poor women and girls who needed aid and protection, but I haven't yet pursued that lead. Eliza may have lived with her mother, Anne, over the years, perhaps dividing their time between the family's sole remaining plantation in the parish of St. Thomas and their sole surviving property in urban Charleston. The Wooden House on Meeting Street, advertised for sale by the late James Aiken in 1769 and 1771, apparently passed to the children of his brother Thomas after 1781, as his will had directed. That building, which was probably constructed before 1758, endured the Revolution and survived through the years to the 1840s, at which point it became the focus of the Aiken family legacy. Before his death in 1841, Dr. Thomas Aiken, a lifelong bachelor, 
left instructions for his sister Eliza to take possession of the house and lot in Meeting Street, quote, where I now reside, end quote. Personally, I think Thomas and Eliza probably shared the house anyway, since both were unmarried. But again, we know very few details about Eliza's life. At any rate, Eliza spent her final months contemplating the future of the old Aiken place, which was nearly a century old by the time she made her will in the spring of 1842. In that document, she composed a detailed plan that reflects an intimate knowledge of the city's efforts to care for the urban poor. Eliza conveyed her most valuable possession— a two-story double tenement of wood nearly opposite the circular church on the west side of Meeting Street, to the city council of Charleston with a singular condition. Quote, In trust, nevertheless, that they, the said city council of Charleston, do within two years after my decease establish and found thereon a suitable hospital for the reception and maintenance of foundlings within the parish of St. Philip and St. Michael in the said state of South Carolina, until they arrive at the proper age for admission into the orphan house of the city of Charleston. In short, Eliza Aiken single-handedly established Charleston's first and only foundling hospital in 1842. The Aiken Foundling Hospital was an important but short-lived institution in downtown Charleston, designed to meet a need that once existed in our community. To do justice to the memory of this long-forgotten edifice, I thought it proper to begin its history with a tour of the people who made it possible. The Aiken family line in South Carolina, established in 1695, disappeared in the spring of 1842 but the name might have lived on for centuries. After all, everyone in Charleston remembers the Roper Hospital, established by a private bequest in 1845. So why have we all forgotten the Aiken Foundling Hospital? Tune in next week when we'll return to the site of the old Aiken home on Meeting Street and explore the rise and fall of the Aiken Foundling Hospital. CCPL is your home for local history. If you'd like to learn more about our resources, discover upcoming programs, or just explore the Charleston Time Machine, check out the library's website at ccpl.org. Thanks for joining me aboard the Charleston Time Machine. This is Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.